Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jude 3 Project, and I just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters. We could not do what we do without giving from people like you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one, you can go to jude3project.org and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Welcome, everybody, to the Jude 3 Project. I am a guest host, uh, Vince Bantu, and I'm very happy to be here. I've uh, been on the Jude 3 Project many times. Uh, this feels like home to me, and so I'm very excited to be uh, guest hosting uh, this special interview today. And uh, for those uh, that have been watching, uh, you know, the Jude 3 Project is all about helping to equip the body of Christ to represent the gospel and to defend the Christian faith. And uh, and, and I'm very excited to be here. Uh, this is actually a returning visit for me as uh, I have been coming to talk with uh, various uh, co-authors and scholars about a new book that uh, has just come out that I, the Lord has blessed me to be able to edit. Uh, it is entitled Gospel Hymenote. Uh, and the subtitle is A Constructive Theology and Critical Reflection on African and Diasporic Christianity. And um, and this is a book that actually the, the founder and president of Jude 3 Project, uh, Lisa Fields, and I had an opportunity to discuss a little bit about uh, my involvement in the editing of this book. Uh, this is a book I'm very excited about because what it basically does is helps uh, the Black church and Black community and the Black academy uh, and theological academy to, uh, to have categories uh, in theology or hymenote actually, which is an ancient African term uh, for theology, uh, but it's, it helps the body of Christ, especially in the black community to have theological categories uh, that are again, rooted equally in biblical orthodoxy, uh, as well as concerns for social justice, which unfortunately is something that you don't really see uh, kind of coexisting in the theological academy. And, and it's an edited volume where uh, I've been, I was able to provide the introduction and conclusion uh, and a chapter, um, but it actually brings together a consortium of scholars, uh, black scholars, again, who are, are uh, academics, uh, who are uh, experts in their field, but who also are, again, are committed to black flourishing, to social justice, uh, to liberation for the marginalized, and are committed to biblical orthodoxy and the truth of the gospel, the universal truth of the gospel, uh, which uh, a lot of people don't even know uh, is actually uh, not, is in the academy is actually few and far between. And uh, of having, again, black scholars who are uh, committed to the black community and are committed to biblical justice uh, and, and biblical truth uh, is actually very few and far between. So we gathered a group of these scholars and we're actually gonna have a series of interviews uh, with various scholars who have uh, contributed various chapters to this book. And today, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to be joined with a dear friend and colleague uh, and scholar um, and, uh, and leader in God's church, Dr. Jacqueline Dyer. Uh, and Dr. Jacqueline Dyer contributed one of the chapters to this book. The chapter is fire. Uh, it is like that. It is, it, is, uh, it is just a wealth of knowledge. And so, uh, and so I'm just uh, so blessed to be joined now uh, by Dr. Jacqueline Dyer. Hey, uh, Dr. Dyer, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Oh, oh, great, great. 
Yeah, it's great to great to be here with you. Um, and and Dr. Dyer, uh, I just want to know, uh, could you could we could you even just start out maybe by just telling uh, people here today a little bit about yourself? Uh, kind of, yeah, like where, you know, where you're from and what you do in, in the body of Christ and in the academy and just so folks can get a little bit more acquainted with uh, with you and your work. Okay, so I am currently the associate director of the new doctorate of social work program at uh, Simmons University in Boston. And uh, that's something that's a recent development in my life, and it's the next evolution of my career as I have been in um, the profession of higher education. My field is social work, and I just love what I do. And my teaching process has manifested in so many different ways. One of the ways that is just very much a part of who I am is my faith. And um, as such, my spirituality is that I am Baptist, Protestant, and um, I have been ordained within the Baptist Church as a reverend. And my church um, is People's Baptist Church in Boston, where I'm an associate minister. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And, and shout out to Roxbury. Uh, and, you know, that's definitely uh, we actually connected at uh, where, you know, uh, where I believe, you, you know, you taught in the past. And also I was a student at Gordon Conwell, uh, you know, in Roxbury. And so uh, that's a that's a great thing. And I didn't even see you so humble. I didn't even know that. I didn't know. You know, I, I knew about the academic pedigree, but I didn't know about the, the ministerial credentials as well. So and see, that's exactly what again, that's exactly what our book is all about. Um, is really again bringing together bringing together the academy and the church, and so you embody that. Um, and so, uh, man, that's that's impressive. And I just hope that I hope that this will launch into other people getting to know and connecting with a lot of the other work that you're doing, uh, Simmons and otherwise. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I'm wondering if we can uh, really jump into this book and and uh, and if you could tell us a little bit about your your chapter and and the motivations for it. This just to let everybody know um, uh, again, this the entire book and, and really the paradigm, uh, the theological paradigm that we're this book is called Gospel Hymenote, and we're we're talking about being a uh, gospelist. And what we're coming into uh, is, you know, really trying to um, really again provide theological categories for people that maybe don't necessarily connect as much with, you know, terms uh, existing categories like evangelical or reform, uh, or maybe even liberationist or womanist, because these some of these might not speak fully to the the fullness of again uh, black spirituality, as you mentioned, which is concerned with justice and truth. Um, and so we're we're looking at it from all these different angles. You know, we have Bible scholars and uh, and theologians and church historians like myself. But, but then also you're coming into it as a Baptist minister, as a as a theologian and as a social worker and as a counselor, uh, you know, multidisciplinary. And, and just to let everybody know the uh, Dr. Dyer's chapter in this book is entitled From Historical Trauma to Shalom is the name of the chapter. Uh, and it's actually uh, one, towards the end of the book, one of the last chapters, we say the best for last. And and so, uh, uh, Dr. Dyer, I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about this chapter from historical trauma to shalom. Like what was the, yeah, what was kind of your your motivation in writing this chapter? If you could just give the the, the listeners a little bit of a, of, a, of, a, of a kind of a preview of what that chapter is really all about. Well, as I wrote this, um, what went through my mind was the realization that there's a lot of hurt within the Black community. 
Um, and I would say the African diasporic community. Um, we'll talk about just within the United States because this is where we are. I myself am an immigrant from Jamaica and have been in the States for a long time. So um, people tell me sometimes they hear an accent, sometimes they don't. So um, I don't control that consciously most of the time. So, um, but as I think about our journey as a people, you can't review that history without realizing that there has been hurt. And that hurt has manifested in so many ways um, amongst the, the various bodies of our people. And it shows up in the church. And so as I was um, writing this, that was my starting point, that as I think about our people, I recognize that there is a hurt that has been inflicted. But because of my connection to God, I can't let go of the hope. And so I started praying about and, and reflecting upon how are these connected? And they're connected in that it's a journey. You know, and some people talk about the journey, life as a journey and say, you know, it's not always about the destination. It's about the, the road traveled and, and the process in going through. And I have to say that that's the way this paper manifests. And when you think about our faith, we believe in a now and not yet. So we are in the midst of our healing process but we're not fully there yet. There's still work to be done, work that God is doing in us and that God will continue to do through us with, for ourselves and for others as well. So it's about the movement ultimately from despair to hope and recognizing that though there is a point at which our history has been marred by just damaging contact with another culture and it has left lasting scars that is not the definition of who we are that is but a point in the path and the the course trajectory of who we are as a people mm -hmm. and because it's just a point and it doesn't define who we are it influences that definition. I'm not going to say it doesn't, but it is not the sole entirety of how we define who we are. And that definition comes from God. That's influenced by God. It's sprinkled all over with God. And because of that, while we may be marred by some of that original contact, we've got a hope about where God is taking us and what that means for who we are as a people. And I'm excited about that. Mm. And so I, I write about this journey from despair to hope. Mm. Wow. That's powerful. That's, that's, and, and, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, oh man, there's just so much, you know, we can talk about it. I just, I mean, I have to just quick, 
give a quick little uh, just shout out and amen to what you're saying, because and, but co- co- again, coming from a very different, you know, uh, discipline and, and kind of, you know, my expertise uh, is very different. You know, I have no, no really no expertise in social work or counseling or anything like that. Um, but uh, but I just connect so much with what you were saying about, again, that while while the trauma and the and the pain that we've been through as a people is a very important part of who we are in our identity it's not the sum total of it and and i just have to i just have to you know again uh say that it just fits into some of the uh some of the graceful but also honest pushback that we have to give to a lot of you know even black scholarship and that's what we're doing as black scholars is because i you know i honestly sometimes when i read lots of you know so-called black theology it actually talks more about critiquing whiteness than it does actually about african identity again apart from you know uh, apart from the trauma and the pain and not to say that we don't need to do that and there doesn't need to be critique and deconstruction and decolonizing and and all that kind of stuff a yes and amen to all of that but again you know we have a history that extends way before you know uh 1492 and way before slavery uh and it's and it's bigger than that it includes that of course uh so i just you know and that's again where i come in with the whole like early african christianity that uh you know or in you know pre-slavery and and pre-colonial and even our colonial like stuff that you know we have history that has nothing to do with colonialism uh and, and again who will we be in heaven when there is no more uh, of that. And so, um, so anyway, I just think that that's so spot on um, there. And again, I wanted to ask maybe a little bit about that journey a little bit more, but, but you, 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 you mentioned about us as a people. And I noticed in the chapter, those that read it, uh, I love how you, you make a point to use that phrase, uh, you know, and you talk about the people, uh, you know, and you use that uh, throughout the chapter. Can you, can you tell the readers a little bit about what they'll expect to find when they, when they go and read uh, the chapter and, and yeah, just kind of where, where you're going with that concept of, of, you know, the framing of that in that way of the people. Where that comes from is a recognition that all too often, especially within this country, we're referred to in, what's the word I'm looking for? adjectival ways. We have to be, um, there's always something that adds to the description of who we are. We never just get to be a people. We have to be a this people or a that people. We are in reference to the dominant culture, always. And that's not the point from which I begin. I am first a person. And I wanted us to, anyone reading this, to recognize it's not just about saying we are Black people or our ethnicity, I am Jamaican. It's about recognizing we have the right and we have the ability to claim who we are. We are a people. And I love the way that Native Americans within their different cultural um, identities The very name of themselves is just their linguistic name for themselves as a people. So for instance, um, the Navajo refer to themselves as the people. The Apache, which is a name that has been identified from um, another people group. It technically, I don't believe is how they refer to themselves. 
they refer to themselves as the Dene. And that word means the people. And I love that influence on my thinking. We are a people. And being in this country has almost caused us to relegate ourselves to places of having to have an extra description. We can't just be. We have to somehow be otherwise defined because being a people in and of ourselves is not fully accepted within this country. Mm, wow. Wow. That's powerful. And again, that just, man, that just, and that just connects so much with, you know, uh, things that I, you know, I've really been thinking about too. So that's just helpful framing. Cause I, you know, I, and again, with all due respect, um, you know, I, I definitely have appreciated, for example, the writings and the thought of people like W.E.B. Du Bois, you know, and he talks about, you know, the veil uh, through which we see this or, or and through which we perceive this kind of double consciousness, like the veil of, of racism um, and kind of, you know, your identity being kind of framed in reference to the dominant white culture. Um, but and I, and I think it's so helpful, the imagery. But what I don't like is that he he just kind of says that 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 it is inescapable to see yourself primarily through this veil of how you're being defined by the dominant culture. And that's where I'm saying, no, it's not inescapable. It's not that's not all we are. That's not that's not a I mean, yes, that is something we have to deal with. Um, but again, Jesus is taking us to he's taking us to a place where we started from again of as a people um, and, and as his people. Uh, all of us in his image, you know, native, white, black, you know, but also we're focusing specifically on the beauty of African uh, culture uh, being made in his image. And it's something that isn't rooted in, uh, again, yes, an, an image that or an idea that's been created for us. Um, mm -hmm. That's just, man, that is that is powerful. Um, so, you, yeah, you, you mentioned the journey. And again, uh, y'all got to get uh, y'all got to get this book and you got to get Dr. Dyer's chapter because uh, it does take you on a journey literally um you know dr Dyer, you can you can kind of correct uh or you know kind of help if i'm if i'm you know getting it wrong but it seems like as i read through it there seems to be like kind of three main uh stages or or kind of like notches in the journey uh throughout the chapter as i as i read through it you you start us off you know again acknowledging uh the trauma that black communities african-american jamaican uh you know uh uh, you know, that's, again, part of our and I love that. I love that you bring that perspective, because, again, this is a, a pan-African uh, experience and, and project. Uh, and um, and so, but again, you, you, you acknowledge the trauma that many of our peoples have been through and, and the importance in doing work, uh, social work, counseling and ministry of uh, understanding that. And then but then you start us off with the first kind of step of, of grief and talking about the role of grief. Um, and then uh, then you move over into lament. Uh, and the necessity of lament. And then then you talk about shalom. And, uh, and so that, you know, that's just such a just again, just a wonderful, a wonderful journey that you take us through. But I, I wonder if you could even just, you know, because you could do it much better than I can. Like if you could just like maybe talk a lot about maybe some of those steps and uh, and yeah, just describe kind of the interconnectedness and just the idea of that of that journey from, you know, grief to lament to shalom. OK, so. I start by looking at the history. And in doing so, what I'm doing is setting the stage, not 
creating something that wasn't there, but rather acknowledging what is. Because when we're trying to move out of a place of hurt to a place of health, you have to start by looking at what's going on around you, what's going on within you, and acknowledging that, and just naming what is. And what I name is that first contact with an external culture for those who are African descended was damaging. And that damage has conjured up this specter of racism. And, you know, while racism is identified as a modern construct, various aspects of it, because caste systems have existed through, for centuries, whether it has been um, skin tone, but I'd say skin tone is more modern. The further back you get, the more it has to do with class and the more it has to do with roles in society. You would have the warrior castes and you would have the business castes. Um, so that kind of a thing. So there's always been distinction and um, a, a means of creating some kind of categorization or hierarchy among human peoples. However, the contact that African continental people had with European continental folks from the beginning created a different kind of manifestation of that caste process. And the version that it created is what I call, you know, this interaction that has conjured up this specter of racism. And I use that language very intentionally because it's almost like a form of evil magic, you know? Now, what's weird about that is I'm Christian and while I would, I'm very clear, I don't believe in magic in that kind of way. I mean, we've got magicians doing tricks, but we recognize that that is sleight of hand. But there is a way in which, and the Bible does talk about principalities, that the way that the system, this racist process has settled into the culture within this country it has invoked this particular kind of principality that is very insidious. And so I talk about that history and the presence of this specter that is able to change with the environment. So, you know, during the 60s, the way it changed was, you know, outwardly it couldn't manifest, but it didn't mean that it didn't go below the soil and find ways to contaminate the land. And then at other points in time, for instance, the 2016 elections and since, it re-emerged. And the way that it emerged was, again, very damaging. But the, the core of what it is has always been consistent. It's about hatred of one people for another. Mm -hmm. And in recognizing that we have come through those kinds of waters, literally and figuratively, it's important to know that with that kind of hurt, the pain that that has inflicted, the pain that sometimes shows up in our very skin, in our very bodies, 
if you acknowledge that, yeah, this is some of the reason for that, this contributes to this pain that I've been feeling. It doesn't come out of thin air. It has a connection to something that is a part of who I have been, that is a part of my history. And you recognize that, you know what, if there is pain, then I need to allow myself to grieve. I need to allow myself to acknowledge that something has been lost. Mm -hmm. And with that, how then do I grieve? What does that look like? Well, in our culture, sometimes there is this way in which we can only express that grief in certain ways. And that also comes out of our history because grief indicates that something is off, something is wrong. Well, in the presence of a perpetrator, the person who is acknowledging that something is wrong will cause the perpetrator to sometimes inflict even more pain because they don't want to be reminded that they've done something that has caused hurt. So we've learned as a group to tamp down and and to um, find other ways of dealing with our pain. We don't necessarily hide it but we don't always acknowledge that it's there and we don't give room for it to be fully expressed except in certain extreme conditions, loss of a loved one, immediate loss of a loved one. Now, research has shown that over time, the two most difficult losses for people to to grieve, loss of a parent, loss of a child, those um, seasons of mourning can go into years. And not be complicated, but it just takes time for the person to move through what it means to have lost this individual, this family member, this loved one, and find ways to still move on in healthy manner. But the society doesn't acknowledge that this loss can take years to mourn. So we're expected to get over it in about six months. And after six months, people look at us like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. You know, this is really something that you, you might need help with this. Mm-hmm. Now, we grieve communally. Mm-hmm. And families are able to comfort each other in different ways. Mm-hmm. But in the context of a society that doesn't give permission to grieve, some of that gets waylaid and it gets pathologized. And as a result, people don't fully allow themselves to express what they've been experiencing. Mm -hmm. And so it gets warped. The ways that sin can warp our personalities, our ability to express ourselves gets warped because the society says you're not supposed to do it and you're not supposed to do it in that way and you're not supposed to do it for that long. Who do you think you are? Mm -hmm. And God provides a way through. He provides the lament. And when we look at the ways that lament has manifested in the Bible, it's manifested in some pretty intense ways. You know, when David is is saying, you know, Lord, just just break them, just just tear them up, just just visit upon them all kinds of stuff. And and I'm not going to go into details because there's so many different ways people can get caught up in. Oh, really? That's not what I, I want us to get caught up in. I want us to get caught up in the intensity of it. We think that grief in the Bible is supposed to be genteel, Mm. that emotion is not supposed to be expressed other than in very subtle ways. 
Mm-hmm. So we have this way in which we're, um, we almost develop a mythology around how emotions are expressed. But all emotions come from God. Mm-hmm. We feel because that's how we have been designed. So mm-hmm. much so that science has actually been able to identify that when we cry, emotional tears, not crocodile tears, Mm-hmm. Emotional tears, when we are crying out of the sentiment that is deep within, we actually release stress hormones. They can find evidence of released stress hormones in our tears. So God has designed us so that there is healing in our tears. Mm. Imagine that. Wow. That God facilitates through the process of expressing intense emotion that we are allowing ourselves to be healed. So as we lament and give ourselves space and permission to experience the full range of what we might be experiencing as a result of the loss, we get permission to move through it. Instead, we are no longer stuck. We no longer have to hold it in and figure out ways to bottle up all of this energy. We get to release it in healthy ways. And we get to allow God into those spaces that have been wounded. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, that connection, because we're able to allow him in, mm-hmm. we receive and experience healing. Now, uh-huh. it takes time. Mm-hmm. But we get to experience it. And part of that is the relationship with God that gets to be renewed that gets to become strengthened within us so that we can then, like Elisha, be released from the cave to step out to do the mission that we've been given to do. Mm. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's, man, thank you so much, Dr. Dyer. I'm telling y'all, get the book <laughs> and get and get that chapter. I'm telling you, I'm, I, y'all see, see, see Dr. Dyer, we know each other. We've been working together for a long time and see now, now the audience is starting to get to see why you're like the whole society of gospel hymenal resident counselor, you know, cause I feel like I'm, <laughs> right now, I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm getting my issues worked out. <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah. Um, man, that's, that's just, but no, that's for real. That's so powerful. And I, again, I love how in the book, you know, it just connects with, you know, just to add to what you were saying, like you, you talk about in your chapter about, again, the ways, especially when you're dealing with a traumatized, oppressed community like ours, the, you know, the people uh, in the black community, you know, we're not even allowed to grieve and we're certainly not allowed to feel those intense emotions. And so, but you talk about, you know, how, you know, even in song, the ways that we, you know, you even quote various, you know, uh, spirituals and blues and 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 various different musical forms that have emerged from our community that was like, we're finding a way, we're going to find a way to experience this. And I love how you point out how the church, the black church has been one of the, the biggest vehicles for people in our community to express that pain. And, and, and you, you know, you talk about um, this double acknowledgement of, you know, how black people have always acknowledged the, um, the pain and the trauma of what we're going through and the racism. And at the same time, we've always acknowledged that hope in God, that, that God is an ever present help and that, that we cry out to God and the church has been that, that, that conduit for us. Um, and I just love that you do that because again, um, and I wanted to ask you a little bit more about, you know, just again, tying this into gospel hymenote as a, as a whole, because 
you know, again, that's one of the, there's so many different disciplines in that, in this book. Um, and, uh, and, but the, the, the tying bind again, is that, uh, is that, is that black church tradition is that living tradition that we all come from, but that, as you and I know, is not really represented, uh, really well in the academy. Um, you know, because in the academy, uh, you know, being a, a black scholar, uh, we don't find our, uh, that that holistic that shalom perspective really uh, uh you know often very present because oftentimes in the dominant white culture in the academy uh it's you know it can often be a a focus on truth but with with no focus on justice and and trauma informed care and all these kind of things uh but then you know when we get into scholarship with folks that look like us uh it's often a very good and very uh, attentive kind of focus on the uh the, the trauma that we've experienced and also the necessity of liberation for the, for our people, for the people. But oftentimes it's, you know, kind of, uh, you know, to the neglect of the truth of Jesus and the centrality of the person of Jesus. Um, but oftentimes there's more of a pluralism, like, well, the Bible, you know, you can take it or leave it or Jesus, you can take it or leave it, but liberation is the end goal in and of itself. And so that's really our, as you know, that's really our goal with gospel hymenote is to provide categories and, uh, and and again, uh, framing uh, that is Afrocentric, that is centered in the Black experience, uh, and that is scholarly, uh, but that's also focused on truth and justice. And you mentioned that uh, if I, I could just let everybody know, this is actually towards the um, uh, and you you know this this connects with what you were saying, and uh, this is on page one eighty two towards the beginning of your chapter. You say that with lament as the conduit, this movement flows from the grief and loss of historical trauma by way of the lament towards Shalom, yes. a movement essential to liberation and to gospel hymenote. And, and, so, um, and, and so I just wondered if you, Dr. Dyer, could t talk a little bit about, uh, yeah, how, how you envision uh, this, um, this chapter and these resources you provided, how do they, um, yeah, how do they connect with this overall kind of theme that we're, that we're on about here, about gospel hymenote? Uh, yeah, how do, you, how do you see it kind of, uh, engaging with and conversing and advancing and 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 kind of supporting um, you know this framework uh, that we're that we're calling gospel hymenote. Okay, when I think of gospel hymenote, I think of it as a reclamation of our faith history, our faith history without a lasting imprint of the European influence. Because when you take a look at theology nowadays, it is rife with European influences, but to the exclusion almost of the African imprint. Because when you take a look at the origin of the gospel, Jesus lived in Egypt when his family went there so that they could be safe, held safe from, from the Egyptians. Um, sorry, from um, being persecuted. And, and the persecution would be, we'd say from the Middle Eastern part of the world. Mm -hmm. They went to Egypt. You can't be in Egypt if you're blonde-haired and blue-eyed and hide out for as many years as they did. It would have been a spotlight. So Jesus never would have survived if he was a white guy. And that is not fully acknowledged by those who know better. They know that this is a, a region that was populated by people of color, yet frequently and repeatedly, 
I will hear people saying, well, we need to talk about the black presence in the Bible. The Bible is the black presence. <laughs> you know, that's where I come from. You mm -hmm. know, if the people who survived are people who are made out of dirt from the richest region in the world, that's darker than me. Okay, it's rich, dark earth. You can get light from dark, but you can't get dark from light. And so there is a way in which we need to take a look at this and reclaim the history that is ours, not look for the scraps that have been allotted to us, but take a look at the entirety of it and recognize this is our history. Now, as it's moved through the centuries, it has then infused other cultures, but those cultures don't get the right to claim it as something that emerged out of their very being. That's just not true. And as we pursue this process of looking at our history academically from a scholarly perspective, and the Gospel Hymenote provides a pathway for doing that, wherein um, what we say is not going to be immediately responded to as heretic, <laughs> you know, as heresy. And, oh my goodness, you know, that's not something that we can talk about. That's just not, you know, Christian. And that's not, um, the, that's not Orthodox. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is Christian. It is Orthodox. We get to reclaim that. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I appreciate the most about the Gospel Hymenote. Um, society. It facilitates an environment where people get to talk about the impact of African history within the Bible and how African history helped shape the Bible. What we often hear identified as different fathers of the faith, it, their connection, the fact that they're African, is never identified. Mm -hmm. And they're only discussed from European perspective. And I want to know about them from their African roots. I want to know how this looked in the original time and how that original influence um, still remains. That's what the, the Society Gospel Hymenote facilitates. And the ability to um, publish what we have learned and what we are reclaiming, that's what the book and the journal out of the society facilitates. And that is life affirming. So if we are moving towards shalom from a place of desolation to a place of deliverance, moving towards hope, then I see the gospel hymenote as one of the manifestations of that hope. Mm. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's well, it is it is indeed uh, a, a helpful and welcomed and uh, yeah, just powerful, you know, again, just contribution to that 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 whole framework again. Um, and and I wonder, you know, uh, if I could just you know, if I could ask one more, uh, if you know, what what are your as you know, as we kind of uh, come to a close, like what what would be some of your hopes for how you know, this chapter uh, and, and the whole book really, um, but also your your contribution to it. What, what would be your hopes as you think about the audience and as you think about, um, you know, the black community 
both in the in the community uh, and in the church, the black church, as well as the academy. As you think about, you know, students uh, and colleague, black colleagues, we you know, that we work with uh, in the academy. Um, what would be, I guess, some of your hopes for? Uh, yeah, just how you hope this really can kind of help to contribute and how you hope it's received and uh, and how the Lord uses it uh, in the black community, both in the academy and uh, and the church. Oh, that's a big question. Um, I'd say the first thing that runs through my mind in terms of my hopes for how this is received is that it opens up permission within our community for us to be able to talk about grief and loss, to really talk about the impact of our history on us, not just in terms of the um, socioeconomics and and, um, not just the social status roles and, and impact that remain, but also the ways in which some of our growth, emotional growth has been stunted. And we look at that. So I'd mentioned before that there's so many ways in which emotion is expressed in the Bible. And one of the passages that stands out to me is when um, David writes in one of the Psalms, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And that passage right there is a journey from despair to hope. And what I want people to notice is that you can start in the very depths of despair. You can start in places that are so hard to acknowledge that just looking at it or trying to look at it almost immobilizes you. You can start, you can be in those places, but the body, the mind, the spirit is not designed by God to live in those places. So eventually, as we move through a process of healing, we do get to the hope. Now, I want to be very clear, it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. And this doesn't um, ignore that there are some people who are clinically depressed. But clinical depression can be helped both with medication that ultimately rebalances the imbalanced chemical process within the body so that the person can be healed. And it can also be addressed with talk by being able to express what you're feeling. So depression can be assisted in both ways, medically and socially, Mm. interactionally. And as we facilitate that process, creating communal conversation and expressing, yeah, it's been hard, but put your hope in God Mm. and yet praise him. You start someplace, and as you get rid of the weights and the burdens and release and give yourself permission to feel and to express, that begins to get released, and what remains is the hope. Mm -hmm. And people can get to the hope once they've released the burdens. Mm 
And so my hope is that this article, this chapter, is re received in a way that gets people thinking about how they've not permitted themselves to express and to experience hope that God has for us through the journey of pain, of identifying that this is hard, of identifying that right now, I, can't, I don't even have words for it. All I can do is moan or rock or groan. Mm -hmm. And yet, even if that's all we can do, it's still in the Bible. Mm -hmm. That the Spirit gives utterance when we don't have words. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Even our silence, where the pain comes out in inexpressible ways, even that there is room for and description of in the Bible. Mm -hmm. If God creates space for all of these different modes of expression, who are we not to give ourselves permission mm -hmm. to experience what God has facilitated as strategies and as pathways to the hope that is in Christ? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the most, I'd say that's the, the greatest part of my hope for this chapter, that people utilize it as a means to revisit the ways that they haven't given themselves permission to feel and to be, mm -hmm. and give themselves permission, biblical permission, it's all there, mm -hmm. so that they can express what they need to express and come out from under and remove the grave clothes and step into the light, the light that Amen. is Christ. That's my hope. Amen. Amen. Well, Dr. Dyer, this is, man, this has just been so, uh, such a blessing to hear from you and to talk with you. Um, I hope everybody else has been as blessed. And this is, again, just a preview. Uh, so you got to cop the book. Uh, definitely gospel hymenote and uh, get uh, get that. It, you know, uh, just Dr. Dyer's chapter alone is worth it. And so but but there's many more things uh, and we're going to keep on talking. But but before we wrap up, Dr. Dyer, I just wanted to ask if you if there was any things uh, for the audience about maybe any things you want to mention about just work that you're doing, ways they can connect with you, anything, any final kind of, uh, you know, yeah, just uh, greet uh, salutations or any things you'd want folks to know about uh, as we uh, as we uh, leave this place, but not his presence. <laughs> um, okay, so what I'm doing now, I, in addition to everything else that I do, I also maintain a practice of spiritual direction. So I have two practices. One is spiritual direction, and one is a counseling practice. And people can connect to me. Um, I can provide my email address and people can shoot me an email to say, you know, I'd like to talk with you further um, just about um, some of the concepts and some of your ideas from the chapter, um, some of the things I've seen in the book, but also to say, you know, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about spiritual direction, or I'd love to talk to you about counseling. If my schedule doesn't permit us to be able to meet on a regular basis, then I can always make a referral to a trusted colleague. 
um, who is also Christian and an African descended individual or, or several, because I've got a connection in networks. Um, but the difference between spiritual direction and counseling is that spiritual direction is looking about what um, looking at what God is saying and understanding the ways that God is moving in your life and facilitating that process for people. Um, counseling is looking more at the psychological processes and the interplay between environment and personality and um, the ways in which we can sometimes create stories that leave us trapped and we can't find our ways out. And I bring my faith to my counseling and help people think through the ways that they need to make different decisions. And then ultimately for those who know God, to ask them to also think about how God is moving. So those are two different ways that um, people might be able to continue um, a conversation with me. And um, I'll leave that information for you and um, it might be placed someplace where people can access it. Oh, that's that would be great. Well, definitely. Well, thank you again so much, Dr. Dyer. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for writing this chapter. And we just uh, look forward to all the other great work that the Lord is going to do in and through you in your scholarship. Uh, so thank you again so much for this time. Um, and I just wanted to uh, also thank everybody else uh, for tuning in uh, to this uh, time with the Jude 3 Project. Uh, and we will be back, as I mentioned, um, definitely, uh, if you if you are able, uh, definitely get the, the book, Gospel Hymenote, A Constructive Theology and Critical Reflection on African and Diasporic Christianity. We'll be back actually for a couple more interviews in this series with some of the other authors. So definitely tune in. Um, but until then, thank you so much for being with us. And God bless you all. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged in the bible every single day you take a survey it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you bible verses based on those so it's a great app you can download the app by searching in your app store or google play searching g3 project and it'll be right there for you so thank you again remember if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver you can do so on our website or by mail just go to g3project.com hit that donate tab and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online we appreciate you and i'm so so thankful for you God bless. And remember, here at the Jupe 3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.